What's going on, everyone? Mike Barr here with Bar Time Anytime. Hope everyone's had a great week thus far. Hope you guys all enjoyed the round of 32. I know us Sparties did, dominated Minnesota, 20-point victory, even with 20-plus turnovers. Kind of makes you think what this team is capable of if they're rolling on all cylinders at all times. I think this is going to be a fantastic episode. I'm with two of my best friends from college, Sebastian Jeffroy and Quinn Miller. Seabass lives out oh. in the Milwaukee area, yeah. Quinn in San Diego. Um, this is awesome that we're kind of growing the channel here. This is exactly what I had in mind when I started Bar Time Anytime. So thank you to both of you for reaching out to me and you know wanting to be part of the podcast. I'm so glad you guys did so. Let's do it, baby. So kind of the overarching theme of this episode is we kind of want to talk about what we've seen so far in the tournament from pretty much the Michigan State standpoint, and that's, that's what we know the best. Um, and then kind of move into our Sweet 16 picks here, um, and then get a little bit into betting, which is Seabass and Quinn's special, so I'll kind of let them take the reins on that note. But getting right into it, um, I want to kind of talk about the South region. Uh, first game being Virginia in Oregon. Seabass, hit me with what you think. So I'm really liking Virginia in this game. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I've watched the Pac-12 a couple times in the late night. Really not doing it for mm-hmm. them. Um, Oregon does not attack the rim well. Uh, they've got a great shot blocker, um, but they really can't get shots when they want. Uh, and I think against Virginia, that's a recipe for disaster. You look at Virginia, the only team who's really taken them this year has been Duke. And Duke can take them because they can go to the rack. And they've got power. Uh, Oregon doesn't have that. So I think they'll really struggle um, down the stretch with Virginia's defense. Uh, I see Virginia taking this game rather easily. Right on. Yeah, yeah. I definitely agree with that. They have the shot blocker. Um, they are missing Bull Bull, who will be probably a top 15 pick in the draft, you know, a seven-footer. They did lose him. Um, Oregon really does struggle. If you kind of look at what they've been doing here, they hardly have – I think they have one ranked win on the entire year. Uh, Pac-12 is absolutely garbage. I don't care what Bill Walden and his asset head has to say. It is not the Conference of Champions anymore. It's a conference of garbage. Uh, so, like you, Seabass, I got Virginia taking them on. Like you said, they'll slow down Oregon's uh, half-court offense more than they have, or more than Oregon, you know, is already slowing themselves down. If you watch the second half of that UC Irvine game, um, at one point, Oregon was leading in the first half by 15. Uh, I think UC Irvine took the lead in the second half because Oregon went 0-15, I believe, to start the second half um, from the offensive side of the ball. They didn't score their first point until, I believe, the 11 or 12-minute mark of the second half. Yeah. Um, but when they started hitting shots, they started hitting shots. But you can't – in the Sweet 16 games, especially versus a team like Virginia, they're just going to absolutely pulverize you in their style of play. Um, Quinn, what you got? Yeah, I'm on the same page as you guys. I mean, personally, I was watching uh, Virginia um, last round in Las Vegas, actually, at the MGM Sportsbook. And, I mean, the the, the team is just stacked um, from the guards to the download play. I mean, the, the thing that struck me the most is, is how well they played in all facets of the game. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm drawing a blank on the guy's name, but the, the, the blonde hair guy down low, the guy's a beast. I mean, he's rebounding hard. Um, not just yeah, Mamadi Diakiti. Yeah, yeah, that guy's a beast. Uh, and then Kyle Guy can just uh, take it to the rim. So I, I like for them to uh, handle them. I think they're the best team. I don't know if they have the best players, but I think they're the best team. Um, I'm looking for a 10 point win here. 
Yeah, likewise. I got I got Virginia handling Oregon by 15 plus at least. I to me, if I had to look at all of the games, this is the biggest lock of the weekend to me. Um, I mean, Oregon. It kind of proves that the NCAA tournament isn't always indicative of you know the best teams making it. It's kind of who do you match up well against, and you know what happens in the other games. For instance, they had to play UC Irvine around a 32. Like you know, you're a Power Five conference team. You better be making the Sweet 16. Now they did beat a five seed Wisconsin in the first round, but that was literally another scenario of perfect matchups. Um, I had Oregon winning that game. Um, I think Wisconsin really struggled this year on the offensive side of the ball. Ethan has free throw shooting absolutely destroyed them late in games. Um, so I had Oregon winning that game. Then you hope they could beat a team like UC Irvine. So this is kind of indicative of not, you know, the best team doesn't always get the furthest every year. It's all based on matchups and, um, you know, kind of luck of the draw. So, you know, Oregon is in the Sweet 16, but I got Virginia put it, kind of putting them in place and showing how Oregon's a little bit of fool's gold at this point. Moving on to the next game in the South region, we got a dandy here. Probably, you know, probably my favorite game outside of Michigan State, LSU this weekend, just in terms of curiosity of what I want to see. We got Purdue and Tennessee. Now, Purdue's a team under Matt Painter that has struggled to get outside of the Sweet 16 since he's been there. I want to say they're 0-4 or 0-5 in the Sweet 16. Um, so this is a year that, you know, they're really looking to put that to bed. Um, however, they're going against a Tennessee team that's the perfect kryptonite to Matt Harms and Travion Williams. They're two big guys down low, which is where Purdue excels. It's going to be kind of pounding you down low. It's what they did to Michigan State at home earlier this year. They just kind of abused us down low. We obviously handled Carson Edwards. He's not putting up 42 versus us like he is last game versus, in my opinion, a bad Villanova team. Um, so I think personally, I think Tennessee hands it to, to hands it to Purdue at the hand of uh, Schofield and Grant Williams, two amazing players, first first round talents. Uh, I got Tennessee here. It could could be you know an interesting game if Carson Edwards can go out there and you know I don't expect him to drop 42. But if he can, you know, play good defense and, you know, kind of keep his team in there, it could be interesting. I personally just don't think Purdue has enough scoring. Hit me with what you guys got. Bang your home, Quinny. Yeah, so personally, I, I, I'm i leaning Tennessee here. Um, I mean, when you look at the Purdue team, I, I was never high on, on what they have to offer. Um, I, yeah. I think they have some good players. But um, based off what I've seen in, in the Big Ten play, I really don't think they're that great. Um, any other year when you have some other staff teams, I think they're exploited um, a little bit further. Uh, with that said, I think I think it's going to be tight, um, but I do think Tennessee is just too athletic. Um, I mean, at one point they were the number one team in the nation. They're beating Kentucky with a with a with a P, healthy PJ Washington. So essentially, in, in my opinion, a healthy uh, Kentucky team um, is one of the best teams in the nation. So if you can beat them. Um, you know, you, you, you have some, you're a pretty strong team. So in my opinion, I think, uh, I think it's gonna be close, but I think Tennessee pulls it off late. They're struggling a little bit. So that's why I think it's going to be a little bit close. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I, think, yeah. I think they move on to the next round. Yeah, yeah I, definitely. Steve Bass, what do you got? I totally agree. Uh, I, I think that if Purdue has any chance, it's going to be Carson Edwards going off. And I just haven't seen that all year. I've seen him do that. He's done that once this year. And so for him to have another game like that isn't looking particularly likely. Um, I mean, Tennessee, they kind of worry me the way they dropped off against Iowa. They lost focus. Um, if that team stays locked in and focused, they're one of the top three teams in the nation. Um, but I worry about 
that. And I also worry about um, their coach. Uh, I believe Barnes is their coach. I don't mm-hmm. – I'm not entirely sold on him as a coach. Um, they haven't been a consistent program down the stretch. So I'm sure he's a decent coach, but I'm not um, sold that he's a Final Four national championship title winning coach. Um, so I think Matt Painter has the upside and the coaching. Um, if Matt Painter can game plan, get his boys to play well, they have all year, um, even when Carson Edwards has struggled, um, then I think that Purdue can stay in the game. I just, at the end of the day, um, those boys from Tennessee are much more athletic, uh, much faster, and I think they're going to take the game. Yeah, right on. Good point about the coaching. Uh, Rick Barnes came over from Texas where they didn't really do much there. I believe this is his first season with Tennessee, and they are doing good things under him, but he had seniors in Schofield and Williams to kind of help propel his status. So Tennessee, definitely a top three team. You look at their, you know, body of schedule, what they've accomplished this year. I mean, that, that's a solid, solid team. Um, you know, I, I agree with you guys. Just when it comes to the athleticism, they're just completely superior to Purdue. Um, huge matchup to watch in that game is Carson Edwards versus Jordan Bone, Jordan Bone being the Tennessee point guard. He's fantastic. If he's on, he's on. I mean, he's making shots from, you know, NBA range, and he can really D up out there. So that's an interesting matchup to watch. I wouldn't be surprised, though, if Purdue put uh, Eastern, uh, a guy on their team who can guard, point guard through power forward, if they try and throw him on Bone just to kind of slow down their offense. Um, he's also going to be on guys like Admiral Schofield as well. So, that game has, you know, potential to be a grinder, but I think we're all kind of agreeing here that Tennessee has the upper edge in terms of athleticism and just overall the ability to put the ball in the hoop compared to Purdue. Um, moving on to the next game that we're going to talk about here, North Carolina-Auburn. Now, this is a great, great game. Uh, reason being, you know, I think a lot of people view North Carolina as, you know, maybe a favorite in this tournament. Um, Auburn has been firing on all cylinders lately. Um, their offense is ridiculous. Uh, this tournament is really indicative of guard play and, you know, how, you know, how good can your guards, you know, show up to the big games and, you know, Auburn guards have proven that they can do that. Um, a team that kind of reminds me of, uh, this team in terms of two smaller guards that are really showing out at the right time of the year is when we were in college and that, um, Connecticut team had Boatwright and Shabazz Napier. Neither of those guys were unbelievable athletes, um, but they were small guards who could get their own. And it kind of proved that, you know, they could go far in the tournament with good guard play. Um, before I give my intake on the game, I want to hear from you, Steve Bass, what you like in this one. So I watched Carolina play, um, I believe they played on Sunday, and I was blown away. Um, at how well they played. Uh, this team, I watched them play against Texas. They got blown out by Texas. Um, didn't look like it was Carolina's year. And this team has grown so much. Um, I just feel like when you watch a Carolina team play, um, they have freshmen on their team. You would never know we're freshmen. Um, Desir Little is a grown man, uh, and he's just going to destroy So I think Auburn, to win this game, they have to shoot over 50% from three. Um, and they're going to have to be out in transition. But Carolina, they succeed in transition. Um, so I just think that it's a bad matchup for Auburn. Mm-hmm. Um, Charles mm-hmm. Barkley's going to have a terrible, terrible day, and I think this is all time. <laughs> right on. Quinn, what you got? Yeah, I mean, I think the end, the, the end comes for us, Senior Pearl. Um, as much as I like him, um, I just think the Auburn team is too streaky. I mean, when you look at uh, North Carolina, like – 
Sebastian mentioned before. Um, beginning of the year, they were they were like they they were a strong team, not nearly as strong as they are now. They've grown leaps and bounds. Um, this is a, a contender team. I, I do see them losing at some point, um, but not to Auburn. Um, so yeah, book North Carolina to the next round for me. Yeah, and I feel like okay. it's crazy. I feel like it's crazy. We just got we both got done without even talking about Kobe White. I mean, Kobe White has been ridiculous. That guy is is a Carson Edwards, but he's a freshman right now. So I just against Auburn, I just don't know how they're going to handle it. They've got some guards who are five ten. Um, they're going to struggle against Kobe White. Kobe White is a grown man, very athletic, and he makes shots. So I just can't see Auburn handling him that well. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I take, I take all those points and I totally agree with all of them. Um, for whatever reason, you know, going into the tournament, North Carolina was my pick to win it all. Kind of like what you guys are saying. They're such a complete team. They just kind of awe you from what they were beginning of the year to where they are now. To think that that team lost by, I think at one point they were down by like 25 or 20 to Michigan, um, ended up losing by, I think, 17. Uh, to think that's where they started the year. And I believe you said they lost pretty bad to Texas to see where they are now. It does remind me of that year where Luke May hit that shot. And they in that same year, they started out kind of slow and kind of like a Michigan State team. They find their identity towards the end of the year. Um, this is a really interesting matchup. Both teams are kind of right where they want to be right now. North Carolina kind of peaking. Auburn in the same way. Um, I look at this Auburn team and I look at them and they're winners of 10 in a row. They have ultimate, you know, complete guard play that's just ridiculous right now I think they can slow down Kobe White and Matt Bassett because they do have Harper and Brown who are two feisty little fast guys that can maybe you know get in the head of Kobe White or you know alter some of those shots he's a fantastic player top 10 pick in the draft no doubt about it um, but like you were kind of talking about Sebastian the down low game is what I'm worried about with Auburn versus North Carolina North Carolina has Luke May um, they have Johnson as well as Nasir Little. Nasir Little's an absolute beast. I don't know why he doesn't play more minutes. It kind of blows my mind. That's a uh, subject for, or, you know, time for another story. Um, but I kind of dug into what Auburn did versus Tennessee in the SEC tournament. And Auburn has this kid named Okiki who had 18 points and 13 rebounds versus Tennessee. Um, I think that kind of shows that if you can match up versus a big team like Tennessee with Grant Williams and Admiral Schofield, put up those kind of numbers – while holding Grant Williams to 13 points and eight rebounds and holding Schofield to four points on one of eight shooting and five rebounds. I think that does kind of highlight the fact that Auburn can play down low with the big boys, um, despite, you know, being that three-point shooting crazy team like we saw versus Kansas. Now, do I think they're going to shoot the lights out like they did in that game? No, that was a bit of an epiphany, and sometimes you just have those kind of days. But for whatever reason, I'm going with Bruce Pearl and the Tigers. I think Auburn gets it done. I don't know why, but I have a weird feeling about this game. I think that Harper shows up and shows out, um, you know, not putting Kobe White in his place, but, you know, just kind of showing like, hey, I'm on your level too, guy. So this is my surprise pick of the weekend, I'd say. I got the Tigers rolling. Charles Barkley, let's do it, baby. Hey, let's go. (laughs) I like it. I like it. So the next matchup here, Kentucky and Houston. Now, I personally can't speak to Houston. I'm not going to lie. Didn't watch them one time all year. Didn't watch them one time in the tournament thus far. I don't know. I'm nothing about that team. I'm not going to sugarcoat it like I do. So I'm frankly and honestly going off of uh, household names. I'm going with the Wildcats. (laughs) 
What do you guys got? Quinn, what do you got in that game? Yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I love the Wildcats. Uh, Michigan State and Kentucky are my two favorite teams in the whole tournament. I, I think Duke has better players than the, both the teams, um, but I just love the way we play. Um, I, I think Kentucky plays very sound defense. I mean, like, my God, you watch that team, and they don't have the same superstars as they're, as they're used to, which has made them have to play outstanding defense. Uh, which they do, and they excel at that. However, they're missing PJ Washington, and and uh, to be honest, uh, I I was I, I needed to see something from them when they were playing Wofford. I didn't see it, um, mm-hmm. and so for that reason, I I cannot settle on the on the Wildcats advancing over Houston. Um, I mm-hmm. love me some Wildcats, but uh, I'm taking Houston here. I think Houston's resilient. Mm-hmm. I, their last game, they didn't play too well. Um, they, they, they pulled it off. I, I think there's more to come from them. I, I just think that Corey Davis Jr., I mean, this guy, he's balling. His shorts are way too short, but uh, this guy can get buckets. <laughs> he's fast. Um, yeah, so tune in on him and, and look for the for the Cougars to, to pull that uh, small upset. Nice. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, if you watch the post game, both from, I believe his name is Fletcher McGee, the kid who hit seven three-pointers in the first round for Wofford, kind of put himself on the map. Um, he went yeah. 0 of 12 in the Kentucky game. And himself and Coach Cal literally said the exact same number. They both said, you know, McGee said, if I hit three, and Coach Cal said, if he hit three, three threes, you know, instead of going for 12, he hit three of them. Wofford probably wins that game. To think that Kentucky right. would lose to a Wofford team um, kind of shows – that Houston definitely has a chance, despite what I, you know, I haven't seen much from Houston. Um, I am under the impression that it's Corey Davis Jr. kid's a baller. So, you know, would not be surprised if Houston pulled it off, considering Wofford almost did. Wofford had so many open threes that they blew at the end of the game. So um, that one's kind of a toss-up. So good insight there. Uh, Sebastian, what do you got? Yeah, so uh, I've been looking recently, and it looks like P.J. Washington may be coming back. So if he's in the game, I think you take Kentucky uh, in this game. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I uh, Looking up on, on Houston's uh, background, their top five scorers are all guards. Um, that doesn't bode well mm-hmm. against a power five team. So, again, all, literally all hands is on, on P.J. Washington. If he doesn't play, I think they struggle a lot with the Houston guards. They have very good guard play. I think, I think Houston could pull the upset. Um, but if P.J. Washington plays and he's healthy, that's a big key. Um, I could see the Wildcats take him down Houston. So entirely um, impending on P.J. Washington's health, and, and from what it looks like, he, he very well may play. Yeah, definitely. And I haven't seen enough out of Kentucky's guards to convince me that they're going to win that game either. You know, Kentucky, like Quinn was kind of saying, is they used to have those superstar household names kind of running the NCAA. Coach Cal is getting all the five stars and having their ridiculous, you know, freshman lineups and I would even say to the point that Kentucky's kind of fallen off the map this year. Um, you don't really hear about them as much. Um, it's kind of interesting how things have worked. All the attention has shifted to Duke with Zion and RJ Barrett, you know, and rightfully so. It's just, um, I think maybe the lack of spotlight has almost hurt their self-esteem in a way um, that has prided them for so many years here. So that is a very interesting game. Um, you know, like I said, I'm going with Kentucky just based off of the household name. I don't know too much about Houston, but definitely tune into that one. That's going to be a dandy. Uh, moving on to a great game, which I hope the Wolverines get stomped in. 
Texas Tech and Michigan. Now, Texas Tech, I think Texas Tech, you know, they're the best defensive team according to stats um, in the nation right now, Michigan being number two. I do think Texas Tech, though, is a little bit of fool's gold. Um, they only have two wins since the start of the calendar year um, versus struggling in the top 25 uh, since the start of the calendar year versus struggling Kansas team in late February and a decent, at the time, number 23-rated Oklahoma in early January. So they, they have two top 25 wins since the start of the new year. Um, so the Big 12 is obviously down this year. Um, Kansas isn't who, you know, everyone thought they were. If you think about it, Kansas was number one uh, preseason, you know, favors to win it all, I guess, them and Duke. So it's kind of interesting to see how the Big 12 has kind of collapsed. Uh, Texas Tech is winners of 11 of their last 12. They lost in a weird game versus a terrible West Virginia team in the Big 12 tournament, which we all know can happen. Uh, things can be flukes, you know, around March. Um, so I, I'm not saying Texas Tech isn't good. Um, obviously, their defense, you know, is the perfect kryptonite versus a struggling half-court Michigan team. Um, I think we all saw it versus Michigan State all three games. Uh, Michigan played, you know, pretty good in the first half. They, you know, they run their stuff. Uh, they don't really take a lot of bad shots. And Brozdakis seems to be a first-half player, not a second-half player, which is very concerning for the Wolverines. And, you know, what I saw from the Big Ten championship game was they, they turned into a hero ball team in the second half. They stopped running their stuff. You got Jordan Poole throwing up terrible shots. They really force it, and they, they, they don't have the experience there. And it's almost like Simpson's not giving them that experience they need from the point guard. Um, so give me Texas Tech by eight-plus points at least. Uh, Sebastian, hey, what do you like in this game? That's a big one. Um, uh, I mean, I love the coaching of John Beeline. I think he's a fantastic coach. I think as far as X's and O's goes, he may be one of the top five coaches in the country. Um, I just can't see Michigan being able to score enough on Texas Tech. Um, mm -hmm. So I think they're going to struggle down low. Um, and I think if they are going to win the game, it's going to need to be through Brozdinkis, like you said. He's got to shoot lights out. I mean, the few times I've watched him play Michigan State, I'm shocked they didn't go to him more because that kid made almost every shot he took against us. Um, and he gets pumped up and he gets riled up and he gets the team going. Um, so if they can get him going, uh, I think they have a real good shot of winning the game. But I think the Red Raiders are going to be in their head. And I think at the end of the day, the Red Raiders are going to take this one home and knock Michigan out. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. I think the lack of bench play by Michigan is huge. I, they really have no one off the bench. I mean, literally no one. Um, one person that actually had a one person actually had a really good game last game for the first time in, you know, probably three months was Charles Matthews. Now that kid was a Kentucky recruit, um, transferred to Michigan, never really came into his own, was possibly going to the NBA draft last year. He is the prototypical small forward in the NBA shooting guard. Um, he can handle it. He can defend. He can create his own shot. Um, he's a great player. I just don't think Michigan utilizes him enough, just like you were kind of saying about Brozdakis. They fall into this hero ball. Everyone kind of stands around. Um, and they don't get Teske involved enough. I mean, the dude's seven foot one. And how many times did you see them roll, you know, run a high pick and roll with Teske and he would get the ball down low in the second half versus MSU? I mean, I can answer that. Probably never. Um, so I, I worry about Michigan scoring and the way they utilize their players, which is, very uncommon for me to say about what you describe as Coach Beeline being a top five coach. I'm not sure what their issue is in the second half getting their team ball going. So uh, couldn't agree more on that fast. The concern about their scoring and the way they utilize their players. Quinn, hit me with what you got. 
Yeah, I'm in agreement with, with you guys. I have a couple of different takes. I mean, look, I don't think Michigan should even be in this round, uh, to be honest with you. I, Florida got lucky to beat Nevada. Um, Nevada should have been slotted there. I, in my opinion, they beat Michigan. Um, but here we are. Um, Texas Tech is just looking strong, man. They're, they're, they're deep. They got players. Um, they're lengthy down low. In my opinion, with Michigan, based off what I've seen, uh, when they play good teams like Michigan State where um, it's just more sound defense and stuff like that, uh, I mean, they're, Michigan's reckless. <laughs> they could easy, they, Michigan could have easily beaten Michigan State if Iggy wasn't just throwing up the threes recklessly and, and not just running the offense and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to key in on uh, the Italian guard, uh, David Moretti, for um, Tech. Um, I think this guy has some skill. Um, little little Manu in him, um, in the sense where it's not you know so so American where like you know it, it's reckless. He's he's pretty grounded. Um, I like him to to finish them off. I mean, I, I think it might be tight just based off Michigan popping some threes at the end, um, but I, I don't expect it to be close throughout the game. It, it might come finish like five to seven points at the end, um, but I think uh, Tech beats them pretty well. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, like you kind of alluded to, I mean, this Michigan team has potential to be very good. You know, even if they had two guys off the bench that could do something for them, they'd be excellent. Um, but, right. I mean, seeing that, seeing that Brozdakis and just, they just lose their shit in the second half. They they don't know what that, it's like they're they're scared. They don't have any, anyone who can come in there like a Cassius Winston and be like, all right, it's my time now. I'm going to rally the troops. I'm going to make sure everyone feels at home. I'm going to make the right pass, get the ball to the right people at the right time, run the right plays. They just don't have that leadership. And that's so uncommon to see out of a beeline team. And I think Texas Tech ends their season, and I damn sure hope they do. Um, yeah, moving I mean, on to – like, One last point there. I, I just think – I also think the Xavier Simpson, the point guard, I mean, I don't, I'm not high on the kid. I watched him a couple of times. Yeah, he's quick. Uh, he misses layups quite often. I, I don't think he's good. Um, but moving on. Yeah, I mean, his inability to space the floor as well, being a three-point shooter, um, especially versus Texas Tech defense, is going to be huge and, a, you know, kind of a big problem for Michigan, I believe. All right, moving on to Gonzaga and FSU. I think we have a little bit of mixed picks here in the uh, in this bracket, or excuse me, in this game here. Um, who wants to start? Go ahead, Quinn. Yeah, so this is a this is a tough one for me. I I, uh, I, I do like Gonzaga, and I, I think that everyone by everyone I mean the public is all picking Gonzaga. Um, there's going to be a top team that falls. Uh, I just think Florida State is um, a, a team that that has the potential, right? Like, so you look at Florida State, you look at like uh, at Auburn, right? Those those are teams that are are the, the wild card that have the potential to pull it off. Right. Um, mm-hmm. yeah. So I think I, I like this matchup better than the Auburn game in terms of uh, the upset. I think Florida uh, State could pull it off. Um, some funny takes here. So <laughs> I'm pretty high on Leonard Hamilton. I think he recruits uh, some kids that um, have a lot of skill. I, I, I don't know. In, I'm high on him in terms of recruiting. Uh, I don't know about his coaching. I, I, I'm assuming he just lets them play free is, is kind of his take. Um, mm-hmm. But anyways, uh, he racked in 225000 uh for making the Sweet 16. 
Um, so that's a, that's an interesting <laughs> stat. So, um, I think he's going to have some extra motivation there, um, to, to move the needle here and get these guys to lead eight. Also, um, a couple of things to, to watch here. So their leading scorer from last year, Phil Coffer, he's missing the game due to his father's death. So there's some extra motivation there. Um, I don't know how to pronounce the guy's name, uh, Kim Bealey, um, down low. This guy's a budding star. Him and Terrence, man, look for those guys to fill it up. Yeah, definitely. Any idea how much money Hamilton's going to make if they go to the Elite Eight? <laughs> I'm assuming it's double, but we'll see. <laughs> yeah, right. All right, Sebastian, who are you liking this game? Uh, so I'm, I'm the opposite. Uh, I think Gonzaga's got him, and I don't even think it's going to be a close one. Uh, so I just mm, mm. Gonzaga is solid across the board. Um, they're incredibly well seasoned in this position. They, they're here almost every year. They're used to being the one seed. They know the pressure. Um, FSU has talent. Um, they're older. A lot of those guys have been on that team for a while. Um, but I think sometimes they're a huge rotation. They, they play like 10 or 11 guys every game. And I think that kind of slows down their offense a lot. Um, so I could see yeah. Gonzaga taking it to them. Um, and as you'll see later, I really, really like Gonzaga in this matchup. Okay, sweet. Like that insight. So uh, kind of talking about, you know, almost like their hockey lineups, you could call it, you know, five guys in, five guys out. They, they definitely play a lot. That's something that Izzo kind of used to do. He used to play guys um, in like three minute spurts and then like substitute three of them out. And I, I'm not a fan of that. I think that that hurts the flow of not only the game, um, but the players and in and out and in and out. It, it takes some guys, you know, eight minutes to get going and really feel their groove and feel where they fit in in the game. It's hard to watch from the bench and totally get the feel for it. So I think that does hurt Florida State in a sense, but I think it also helps them in this game because Gonzaga's biggest strength so far this season for what I've seen is that Hashimura kid down low. Uh, he can obviously stretch the floor, but he's elite around the box um, and extended elbow. Um, I think if Florida State, you know, with that lanky uh, bodies that they all have and the amount of bodies they have, they're going to slow Hachimura down. They're going to clog that lane up. They're going to make it difficult for the guards to drive and kick. Um, I think that they have enough bodies uh, to slow down Hachimura, which will put the pressure on the Gonzaga guards. And I haven't seen amazing guard play out of them this year. They're good. They're not elite. Um, so I like Florida State in this game by a couple buckets. I just don't think those Gonzaga guards have what it takes this year to carry the load of what Hachimura is going to see, you know, probably five, six different bodies down there. Um, moving on to the Duke and Virginia Tech game. I'm going to keep this short here, guys. Um, I like Duke yeah. by 20. Um, <laughs> I don't think Virginia Tech has a shot. People will say, Oh, Virginia Tech won by five versus Duke earlier this year in Blacksburg. Well, yeah, they didn't have this one guy. His name is Zion. Um, so uh, I got Duke by a long shot, and I'm just going to leave it at that. What do you guys got? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to side with you as well. I, I mean, you look at that UCF team, uh, they, they would have got absolutely destroyed. I mean, uh, UCF had a, a ton of deep threes. Um, I think, like, near the end there, they were just going down the court and hitting the three. If some of those threes didn't drop, I mean, that game was – it could have got ugly fast. Um, now, Duke did get very lucky that they, they, they survived at the end of the day. Um, so, you got to give some credit to the UCF team. But that's March Madness, right? T crazy right. things happen. Um, Duke, Duke rolls them. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, a, I'm 
on the same line as you guys, I'm a little more sympathetic to Virginia Tech. Um, I think they're going to get under ball screens and force Duke to shoot a lot of threes, um, just like UCF did. So I think that's going to play into their mm-hmm. favor. So I think it'll keep the game a lot closer. I think they can handle um, Duke's size a bit down low for a while. Eventually Zion's going to get what he's going to get. And if you're playing against Duke, you have to strategize to just kind of accept that. Take that beating. Don't let him do a lot else. Um, so I think Duke's going to win this game. Uh, I think they'll squeeze it out. And But I'm very pessimistic on Duke in the long term uh, just because they can't shoot the three. And I think – I can't remember a Duke team who's ever shot the three this bad. And even Duke teams that shoot the three this well, sometimes they'll make the final four. Um, so I know Zion's all the craze. Um, their freshmen are fantastic. I just don't think that they have that it factor that I've seen in Duke teams that are really good that have gotten to the final four. Yeah, definitely. I mean, so the, the formula to beat Duke, right, is you got to have rebounding. You got to be able to probably play a zone. Um, you know, not everyone has a seven foot six guy in Taco Fall, but if you have, you know, decent big men who can, you know, bully ball and, you know, rebound well, box out well, do like the fundamental things. Because at the end of the day, you saw in that UCF game, it came down to fundamentals, right? Um, Dawkins on that, or Zion had that and one. Um, to bring it within one and then miss the free throw. Dawkins didn't box out R.J. Barrett. And boxing out is a fundamental. That's something you work on every single day in practice. Um, so if, if you can do the little things versus Duke and not hurt yourself, you definitely put yourself in a position to win. You have to force them to have, have Dre, Trey Jones shoot the three. Um, but at the same token, he's, a, he's probably the best one-on-one uh, defender in the country. So your point guard better be ready to play. Um, so, you know, the formula is, be able to box out, have your big men play like big men, um, play a zone, and force guys like Trey Jones to shoot the three. Now, Cam Reddish is absolutely wet from three, so you got to contain him. But let Barrett do his thing. Let Zion do his thing. Accept it. And then make those other two guys beat you, which is perfect formula that UCF did. I think the loss was as heartbreaking to UCF fans as it was to Michigan State fans. Um, I mean, UCF really should have had that game. Dawkins had that alley-oop that he missed. That probably iced the game if he makes that. Um, he didn't box out on R.J. Barrett, and he missed the tip-in. So the kid had an unbelievable game, probably put himself into the NBA because of the way he was not only making, you know, the way that he was making the shots, like you were talking about Sebastian, his, his fadeaway game, and it just translates so so well to the NBA. Um, you know, ultimately, I got Duke. But moving on to the next game, the cream of the crop here, which we all are looking forward to talk about, and this is the reason I saved it for last, it's our Spartans versus the LSU Tigers. Now, to give everyone a little bit of background LSU, I feel like this is the most under-the-radar team outside of the whole uh, head coach scenario going on there. Um, this is the most under-the-radar team in all of college basketball. They're extremely scrappy. Um in the past six weeks, they have beaten Tennessee and Kentucky, which a lot of people don't even seem to, you know, realize. And those are two of the probably the most impressive wins here down the stretch in all of college basketball, especially the way that those two teams are playing. Um, that being said, they did lose to Florida twice in the past month, which is weird. Everyone's got those teams they lose to. For instance, Michigan State lost to Indiana twice. It happens. Sometimes the other team just matches up well with you. One of those losses was in overtime, um, and the other one was in the SEC tournament. Um, other than those two losses, they only have, uh, two other losses. One was a one point loss at home to Arkansas. And the other one was on the road versus Houston where they lost by six. So 
you know, they got three bad losses and then they got the Houston one. Um, they might have one or two others sprinkled in there, but nothing that really stood out to me. Um, what really stood out to me is the fact that they beat Tennessee and Kentucky, two teams that throughout this podcast we have been very high on. So that speaks a lot to what they are capable of. Um, I think that, you know, I was on Twitter, I think, last week, and people were saying, you know, I got LSU on the first round, you know, this whole coaching distraction. But at the end of the day, you know, players are going to play. And to me, that gives them more incentive to rally together. And, you know, they have more of a purpose to play now. Um, they know they kind of have a, you know, uh, they have a target on them and not necessarily their fault, but just they have that media attention. And, you know, at the end of the day, they want to kind of play for their coach. He wasn't there for them. So um, all in all, I think that only fuels them. And, you know, here they are in the Sweet 16 matching up versus Michigan State. Like I said, they're very scrappy. They're very long. Um, they have great download uh, defenders, not as much, you know, offensive guys, but their defense is going to be a nightmare for Cassius Winston. Um, you know, Cassius is amazing. Um, dribble drive, pick and roll, kind of doing those little floater shots. He's going to have a lot of those altered in this game. I think this is a game, this is a classic Kenny Goins needs to step up kind of game. Um, Kenny had a you know, start, tough, uh, tough tournament thus far, including the Big Ten tournament. Um, but he found his groove in the last game versus Minnesota, which is great. Um, I think Kenny Goins is going to need to put up 15 points for us this game, hit a few threes, expand the floor, and take that load off of Cassius Winston. Uh, Matt McQuay has been doing his thing. Um, so, you know, I'm really looking forward to it. I think Tillman in this game needs to play 30-plus minutes for Michigan State to win. He's got to stay out of foul trouble because we can't rely on Nick Ward right now. I know he's got a messed up hand, but quite honestly, if Ward plays versus anyone that's bigger than him or better than him, he doesn't play up to the competition. He, he succumbs to it. He, 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 he never plays up to them. So um, LSU is a team that has really good down low guys. So I really was hoping that Nick Ward would have a breakout game versus a smaller Minnesota team who didn't even have Jordan Murphy. Um, and, you know, Ward struggled still. So that was really concerning to me. Um, so overall, I think Kenny Goins has got to have a great game. Tillman's got to stay out of foul trouble and play 30-plus minutes. And Ward's got to finally be Nick Ward again that we saw his sophomore year. Um, if Sparty can hold the turnovers to under 15, that's still a lot. If they can hold it to under 15 um, and they don't kind of shoot themselves in the foot and we out-rebound LSU, I think this game comes down to the final moment, and I think it's Cassius Winston time from there. I got Sparty rolling by six. Quinn? Yeah, I'm, I'm on the yeah I'm on the same page as you, uh, Mike. Um, to be honest with you, I didn't look into LSU that much, and the reason why is because there's only a handful of teams, in my opinion, that can even match uh, Michigan State's play. Um, I mean, you look at their players; like uh, none of them really stand out. Kenny Goins is the X factor. If if he's shooting threes, um, I mean, there's maybe like two teams that can beat us. Right. If he's missing, then there's maybe like five. Right. Um, so with all that said, I mean, Michigan State, I think, handles LSU. Um, and then that's when the trouble begins if we have to match up with Duke. Duke is one of those teams that, that can beat us. Um, but, yeah, lock Michigan State in for that, Deb. Yeah, I'm in full agreement with that. I mean, I never I never go against MSU. I think they can win every game. Um I even thought that the past two years, and they haven't done well in the tournament. So, um, But this team has a toughness to it. I've watched it all year. Um, they get down, and they don't even care. 
Uh, it doesn't matter to them. Cassius Winston is calm and collective at the helm. He doesn't get rattled. You never see anybody steal the ball from the guy right out of his hands. If he turns the ball over, it's because he made a bad pass. But the guy never makes a mistake with the ball in his hands. His head's always up. Uh, I just think we're too calm and collective um, to give it up to LSU. I think the Duke matchup is going to be a tough matchup for us. We're going to have to handle Zion Williamson. Uh, Xavier Tillman's going to come in big there because he is by far our best screen and roll defender. Um, so we'll see how it goes. Um, but I'm looking for Sparty to for sure make it on its way to the Elite Eight. And I think if any year um, that I've watched the Spartans play basketball, um, that we have the toughness to beat a Duke team to come through, I think this is the year. Um, so we'll see what the future looks yeah. like. I'm thinking right now. Yeah, interesting point with Michigan State, too. Is I, I mean, you watch the games. You never think you're going to lose. Last year, I mean, my God, we had literally the roster of the gods in every game you thought you were going to lose. So it, it's just weird how it kind of flipped. Uh, rosters, I think, substantially more depleted. I, there's a couple of players. I don't even know how they're on Michigan State. Kyle Arms, he's good. But, like, I mean, we're, what, top five? Um, so – in my opinion, but it, it's just – it's interesting. Like, I, I, you watch all these games, you never think you're going to lose. So, um, supreme confidence in Michigan State winning this game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, kind of speaking to your guys' point about the roster, you know, this is this is definitely nowhere close to a complete roster, but this is a roster that plays for each other. Um, last year, I think yep. they had so many pieces that they didn't even know what the hell to do with them. Um, you you yeah. saw Josh Langer kind of get lost in the mix. Um, you had a developing Cassius Winston and, you know, overall the pieces just weren't used right. And, uh, you know, to Tom's, you know, benefit or, you know, to his uh, approval, I guess you would call it, he never really had a roster that loaded since God knows when, um, you know, maybe back in, maybe back in like Oh four or something. Like, I don't even know. Like I haven't seen a roster like that in quite some time. He had trouble even understanding what to do with his own guys. So, you know, I'm glad that Tom had the offseason to kind of, you know, recoup and, you know, kind of look in the mirror. And he has the classic Michigan State team now. He's got he's got his point guard. He's got his few role players. He's got his Draymond Green 2.0 and Xavier Tillman, who is getting better by the game. And, you know, to Sebastian's point, they, they there's just a calmness and toughness to them. Um, and they really play for each other. And you never really see anyone getting pissed. They all rally. You know, the troops are always rallying around each other. So, um, you know, I really want Aaron Henry to have another great game. You know, a lot of people, a lot of ridiculous media attention all around that. You know, us Spartan fans, we watch that every single game. I'm not sure for whatever reason I got so blown out um, because it's on a national stage. But Izzo's been doing that for freaking years. So I have no idea why that got so blown out. And look what happened. First play of the game, Michigan State, Aaron Henry had a sweet dunk. Ended up with nine points and nine rebounds and, you know, played defensively great on Amir Coffee in the second half. So, you know, all those haters, they can shove it. Uh, there's a reason that there's kids going to Michigan State. It's because they were raised in a household where they weren't spoon-fed. They, you know, they came from a hard background. They want a guy who's going to push them to make them better. Um, so if you want to be soft and all that, go to another school. Uh, we don't want you as a fan base either. We could give a shit what you have to think. So, um, you know, kudos to Tom for leaving Henry in the game, too. He knows we need him in the long run. And, you know, it paid dividends. The kid had a great game last game, and I hope he can, you know, be that third, fourth scorer for us in this LSU game because we're going to need him not only defensively, but, you know, to throw in eight, ten points on the offensive end and get big rebounds and make clutch free throws. So uh, Aaron Henry's a star in the making. Uh, I can't wait to see, you know, what comes of him. 
Um, and Sebastian, also to your point, Michigan State's not a team that, you know, if we have turnovers, you know, it's we're throwing out of bounds or just whatever. We're not getting the ball stolen out of our hand. Um, so to that point, you know, Michigan State had, what was it, 22, 24 turnovers versus Minnesota. Yeah. You know, we do have – we are a very high turnover team, and we always have been, ever since I was a baby watching Michigan State basketball. Um, you know, that up-and-down play kind of warrants uh, turnovers, and that's always been our Achilles heel. Um, but, to you know, to counteract that, I would say, like you said, we, we, they're not terrible turnovers, and Michigan State never takes bad shots. Um, to other teams, taking bad shots is like a turnover. So if you have another team has, you know, 10 turnovers, but they took 10 bad shots, 15 bad shots to me and and to many other people, and especially coaches, a bad shot is just as bad as a turnover. So, you know, the numbers are inflated, but we're we're not shooting ourselves in the foot in terms of taking bad shots. I would even say this team needs to be more selfish and take more shots, but you know, they have the right formula. They're here for a reason. Um, Winston is, you know, rallying all the troops and making all the right plays and making all the right shots at the right time, getting the ball to the right people. Um, and, you know, moving on to the, you know, the Michigan State Duke matchup, you know, if that comes to be, you know, that's going to be a game again where Kenny Goins is going to need to step up. He's going to need to be able to stretch the floor. He's going to need to be able to guard Cam Reddish and Zion Williamson. God bless you, Kenny Goins. Um, you know, Sardi also needs to be able to play a zone, which they haven't done all year. Um, you have to play zone versus Duke to beat them. It's clear that Trey Jones at the top of that top of that offense versus zone is just not confident shooting the three. Um, you know, you live with Barrett and Jones shooting the three, Reddish making a few, and Zion having to work to get his. So. You know, I think Michigan State actually, you know, can pull it off. Like I said, we don't have a seven foot six guy on Taco Fall, but we do have a lot of heart and we do have a lot of experience and we do have a legendary coach. Yeah. But, you know, if you guys had to make the pick today, would you go with Duke or Michigan State? Well, so there's one thing I want to throw in. I think that I think teams who are playing us should look at how Bradley played us. The way Bradley played defense, they should have been ranked the whole year. I mean, that was fantastic defense. They packed the line. And so I think if Michigan State runs into a defense that plays like that, I think we're in trouble because we thrive a lot off of our screen and roll. So if Duke can cover us like that, uh, we're in trouble. Now, I don't know if Duke can play the defense that Bradley played. Um, So it's all dependent on a lot of factors that haven't passed the eye test for me yet. So I'm still waiting to see. But at the end of the day, I'm rocking Michigan State all day. For sure. And yeah, I think another big key in that game, Michigan State Duke, is if you can get the ball to Ward and Tillman and get them matched up on Zion early in the game, give two quick fouls on him, that Duke team is completely different. So if you can utilize getting Zion in foul trouble, you have a huge, huge, huge shot of beating Duke because offensively, they become very, very stagnant uh, without Zion on the floor. They don't really have that guy down low that they can go to. Um, they also lack bodies off the bench, which is another point to the foul trouble. So if, if our guys down low can play solid defense, keep themselves out of foul trouble, but in the same token get Zion in foul trouble, um, I think Michigan State has a really, really good chance. Now, at the same, in the same token, Trey Jones is the best on-ball defender there is in America. Cassius Winston being a little bit slower, I do see that as a bit of a problem, but hopefully – 
you know, Matt McQuay can step in and alleviate a little bit of the pressure. You know, honestly, even Foster Lawyer can play two minutes. It's going to help a little bit. Um, so, you know, we'll see. But I, I think that UCF game, UCF game gave me a lot of confidence and optimism for Michigan State because at the end of the day, we have better players than UCF, regardless of seven foot six or not. So I'm really looking forward to that game. That's going to be on Sunday. Time is to be determined. Uh, Quinn, give me, your, give me your little scoop on that game, if you would. Yeah. Um, so in terms of Michigan State Duke, I, I really don't think we uh, stand a chance. And the reason why I say that is because when you look at the way Duke plays, um, specifically against uh, their, their last game against UCF, um, Zion just took over the game, right? But when it, when these bigger uh, matchups tend to form, they seem to get their other players involved. Um, I think they maybe underestimated UCF a little bit, and then Zion just had to mm. close out. But if you if you get RJ Bear involved as well, like they're, they're unstoppable. Uh, and then you sprinkle in some Cam Reddish, like it, it, like you saw this earlier in the year. They're they're legit. Um, I don't think we have enough firepower. I think maybe if we had Josh Langford and uh, Brian Bowen. <laughs> we'd be talking, uh, you know, something a little bit different, but uh, we don't. And uh, so I, I don't, I just don't think we can match up with them. Yeah. I mean, fair enough. I mean, you're definitely not in the minority on that. Um, so, all right. So we kind of threw in all of our little insight and picks here for the sweet 16. Um, kind of what we're thinking for the elite eight for uh, people advancing from the sweet 16. I want to pass it over to you guys now and kind of going to the betting section of this, I know you guys kind of want to touch on a couple games that stick out to you. Um, Quinn, if you want to kind of start it out um, and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. So I'll preface this. Um, so Sebastian and I have been betting for, I want to say what, I mean, I've been betting for a while. I, it's funny, I actually started betting uh, with cryptocurrency on uh, nitrogen, um, had a large amount of Bitcoin on, uh, <laughs> Eric on on the Falcons and by a large amount I mean like five Bitcoins um, Patriots ended up winning the payout was like I don't know I would have I would have got like 15 Bitcoin just because it was a futures bet um, I would have cashed out immediately but if I didn't cash out um, I would be a rich man if they would have won I would have been a rich man anyways yeah. um, so fast forward so I, I would say about I've been betting for about 10 years or so uh, maybe a little bit less um, now I have my own personal bookie and, and basically Sebastian and I, um, we look for, uh, any uncommon, you know, people on the web, what they're, you know, what they're leaning towards, right? We, we look for Vegas insider for a lot of data, um, look for betting trends. So typically what we do is we'll identify teams that we like, and then, um, we'll look at the lines, look where the public is leaning. Right, um, Vegas. The old saying, "Vegas never, never loses," is is actually true. Um, so, whenever the public is on a team, when it's a heavy lean, um, you know, Vegas is always somehow coming out on top. So, it's just little key things to to pick up on. Um, but, anyways, I'll jump into my bets. Um, I've broken out in, into three sections. Um, I have teasers, parlays, and spreads. Um, I'll review the bats. Did you did you make them in the same format or? Did you have a couple of different ones? Yeah, so I've got I've got two singles, and then I've got a parlay slash teaser, whatever you want to play it as. Um, okay. All right. Well, then I'll 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 show my teasers, and then we'll, I'll do my parlays, and then you could uh, do your parlays, and then we can go to the singles. 
Cool. Uh, all right. So my teasers. So my, my site's a little bit weird. Um, I know you can place like seven, six point teasers, um, but I have a local bookie. I think it's like a four point teaser. Um, but the teams I like in this tease, and I will, I'm going to preface this by saying teases. If you don't do teasers, you're missing out big time. Um, anytime I see a game that's 10 points or more, specific, specifically in college basketball and in March Madness, you're, you're going to want to look at teasing that with a couple other games to, to bring that number down. I mean, it, it's hard to, to hit that number, right? Vegas isn't wrong often. So for a team to come out and blow them out, regardless of how good they are, it's, it's pretty tough. So I always like to throw a tease in there if it's a 10-point plus. Um, and I really like the team, right? Like Virginia always fits that slot. They're always somehow 10-plus points. Um, so my first one is going to be uh, Texas Tech, Michigan State, Duke, and Tennessee. Um, I think Texas Tech upsets Michigan. I think they went outright. So that's why I threw them in there. I think Michigan State wins outright as well. Duke, um, they are, I think, literally like the best team in the, in the conference or in, in terms of players. So I think they win that game as well. And then I think Tennessee is going to be a tight one. So because you're getting points there, there there's some value. Um, so with that bet, it's 50 to win 100. Uh, my next tease is Texas Tech again, Michigan State, Virginia, and then Duke. Um, that bet right there, you can bet 50 to win 150. Um, the, the team that's gonna, you know, convolute this, um, is, is going to be Texas Tech. You, you take out Texas Tech in this equation and your odds reduce or yeah, they were, I guess they reduce, right? So your, your payout isn't going to be as great. So if you're high on Michigan, then I would take them out and, and slot the rest in. Um, but those are the teams that I'm taking in a tease and it's, and you'll see a trend in my betting. Um, I like to, to pair teams up, right? You're not necessarily supposed to put all your eggs in one basket because if they lose, then you lose your ass. Um, but if you have a high level of confidence in these teams, then that's the, the route I suggest you take. Um, in terms of parlays, I'll list mine out and then I'll pass it over to, to Sebastian. Uh, my first one is going to be, so these are all going to be money line parlays. The reason being, uh, the spread is just tough in the, in the, in March Madness. I mean, some, some games are minus two and they're winning by 20. Some games are minus 10 and they're literally losing. So it, it's just too tough in my opinion. Um, so I like to, to, to parlay some money lines. So I'm going Virginia, Texas Tech, Duke, Michigan State, uh, money line. I got 34 to win 100. Um, probably going to add to that bet. Um, my second money line is Texas Tech, Duke, Michigan State. That's 300 to win 840. And then my third money line parlay is going to be Duke, Michigan State, 500 to win 380. So two, two ones that I want to point out are going to be that Texas Tech, Duke, Michigan State. So basically what I did there is I have that bet. And then the next one is re you remove Texas Tech. But what I do is I do 300 to win 840. And then the next one is 500 to win 380. So Duke and Michigan State. If Duke and Michigan State win, I hit the 380. Right. So that way it, it covers my bet if Texas Tech lose, somehow loses. Um, so that's like that's how I like to do it. Um, essentially hedging your bets. Now, if Duke and Michigan State lose, then I lose my ass. Um, but that's that's the way I'm rolling. Um, upset money line parlay. You always got to have them. They're fun. You can throw five bucks on it. Um, high odds. Right. So I got Florida State, Texas Tech and Houston. Twenty to twenty five bucks to win three hundred seventy five. Um, so those are my money line parlays. Bass, uh, what do you have for us? So starting out with uh, with parlays, I've got um, Gonzaga and UVA. 
And what I did in this parlay, it's been working for me this March Madness, is I bought a, a point and a half on each spread. Um, so I got Gonzaga at minus five and a half, Virginia at minus seven. Like I said, I'm high on both these teams. I think they both easily cover just the normal spreads. Um, but take the extra comfort and rock them in a parlay. You'll get better odds in a teaser. Um, so a let's see what my odds are. Fifty dollar bet pays out ninety four eighty three. Um, so roughly right. two to one, not quite, but you get a little safety net. Um, if you want to rock that in a teaser, even safer. You'll probably have about even odds. Um, depending on what, how many points you pick. If you got five points, I think it'd be about even odds. If you got four points, you may get a little bit positive odds. Uh, it just depends on your, on how much you want to uh, risk. Um, like Quinn said, I like to do the same. I did. He, he does where I have one team that I'm super confident on, or, and then I've got a team that I'm not as confident on. I'll parlay them together, but my biggest parlay will be with the teams I'm most confident on. My not as big parlay would be teams I'm less confident on, but the payout, make it so that at the end of the day I win. Um, and then super improbable events are the only events that can really screw me over. Um, so that's what I'm looking at. Um, I'm still looking at the lines on Vegas Insider and just seeing what teams are moving where. Um, so more of that will come as the, as the days get closer. What do you cool. got for, yeah, uh, cool. what do you got for straight bets, Quinn? Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for passing the torch. So that's a really good point that Sebastian brings up too. I mean, so when you're making these bets as well, I would highly suggest not making them until um, the start of the game, right? A lot of things can happen. For example, Florida state there, one of their best players is his father just died. So they're saying he's going to uh, a funeral, right? What if somehow he comes back and is playing in the game, the line is probably going to move, right? And if you already have the bet locked in, it could, could mess things up. Also, the public starts throwing bets in late. Um, the sharp money comes in late. The line is always going to be moving, and you always want to be monitoring what's going on. Um, so with that said, take this information, look at the data, and then make your decision when it comes closer to game time. Um, in terms of the spread, I only have one team that I like in terms of, of who I'm taking here, and that's Texas Tech. Um, right now, they're, they're plus two. Um, that's a comfortable number for me. I think they went outright. Um, so I'm gladly taking the two points. Um, like I said, the, there's, there's other teams that I'd like more than Texas Tech, but because the, the spread, they're a lot higher. And, you know, there's a ton of factors that are going into these games um, that I don't necessarily know about. Um, I like to keep it a little bit closer. So Texas Tech is, is my lone straight bet at plus two. Um, which I will throw in probably closer to game time, and I'll uh, I'll make sure to uh, send out a tweet in terms of what that payout is. Yeah, so I'm doing the same thing. I'm I'm single betting uh, Gonzaga on the points um, straight up. I think they cover that spread nice and easy, and I'm also doing Virginia on the points. Um, I'm much more confident in the Virginia line, I will say. Um, so that'd be my bigger bet, um, but the Gonzaga line I like as well. Um, so those straight up lines, I think they cover often. I like to buy the half point just to be safe. I hate sitting at eight and a half when I could be at eight. How um, much is the half point? Just to throw a little insight. Uh, so the half point I think will cost you f 15 out of a hundred odds. So you'll go from, you'll go from minus minus one ten to minus minus one twenty five. Um, sometimes it'll go from minus yeah. minus one twenty. It just depends. It fluctuates all the time. Um, mm -hmm. That's what the book is going to give you. But um, I think that that risk is worth it just for the half point. Um, granted, I like to 
make my losses small and I like to make my wins big. So that's my philosophy on things. Um, if I'm going to lose, I'd like to lose slightly. Um, if I'm going to win, I want to win big. And I'd always rather push than lose a bet. Okay. Right yeah, on. really good point there. Um, I'm a little bit of the opposite, right? Uh, I, I, in my opinion, I think um, betting uh, small on these crazy odd, I mean, you just end up losing money. So I've kind of sh- uh, shifted my strategy and I'll be betting um, much larger amounts on, on teams that I like more. Um, but the only caveat here is you're going to have to find a book that, or I should, I should say a bookie that will either allow you to have a bankroll or some type of, you know, funds that you don't necessarily need to fund up front. For example, I have like a $5,000 limit, so I can literally bet a thousand dollars and not have any money in my account. Right. So I, I'm, I have the ability to take on more risks on more leverage where maybe in Sebastian's account, he has to deposit the money. Um, so that way, you know, it, it's not necessarily a monopoly money, right? You have to be a little bit smarter with your money where right. I can take higher risk. And if I lose, I still have the chance to win it back. So great point. It's a great point. Awesome guys. Thanks so much for that insight. That's our little uh, gambling piece per se. We want to keep that going. So, you know, kind of, if you guys are listening to this podcast, please respond. Let us know what you guys think about that. You know, do you agree with it? Do you not agree with it? We're just really trying to uh, grow the content here. Uh, if you see Sebastian tweet this out, Quinn tweet this out, just, you know, interact with it, like it, share it. Uh, we want to grow this. Yeah. This isn't really about us. This is about all of us. Um, the whole idea behind this uh, podcast is, you know, millennials like us that, you know, aren't going to land your dream ESPN job. Um, you're more, you're working more in your classic nine to five and, you know, you love sports, but you never really had an outlet for your opinion to be heard other than sports talk with your homies. Um, so this is a great, you know, opportunity for not only us, but friends of friends, friends of friends of friends to, you know, get involved. So we want to, you know, organically grow this channel as big as we can. And, you know, this new sports betting piece is definitely a, intricate part of it and i think it's going to draw a big audience so i can't thank you guys enough for contacting me to you know kind of do this it's a great opportunity for all of us um if you guys had to pick a final four who would it be quinn go final four so i'm going duke um texas tech uh Mm. virginia and uh, North Carolina. Okay, Sebastian. Uh, I'm going. I'm going Duke, Gonzaga, Virginia, and North Carolina. All the top seeds meeting there, uh, with the slight caveat of every bit of me, ninety nine point nine nine percent of me, still believes that Michigan State's going to beat Duke. But you know, <laughs> well, hey, bar yeah, but- As a betting man, I like to be safe. Definitely. I've got, yeah, hey, I've got uh, my surprise here. I got, I got Auburn. I got Auburn. Okay. I got Tennessee. I got Michigan State. And I got Florida State. That's my final score oh. right there. And I got Tennessee taking it home. That is my really? pick. And that, yeah, yeah, I think that they'll, they'll find their, their rhythm here, their magic here towards the end. Um, I like North Carolina. I like Duke going into it. I just see vulnerabilities in both of them. Um, so we'll see what happens. But, you know, anything can happen, obviously. But if I had to go out on a limb, that would be my final four. 
Um, I want to thank both of you guys for hopping on uh, the podcast today. Um, again, like I said, let's try and grow this as much as we can. Um, you know, you, this will be posted on my SoundCloud, um, as well as my website, uh, Twitter, Facebook, you name it, you know, really anywhere I can reach my audience. So again, thank you guys for coming on. We're definitely going to yeah. be doing this in the future. If you guys have friends that are, you know, into just basic sports talk or they're into the betting portion, you know, bring them on board. Um, if you guys, you know, have friends that just want to, you know, maybe throw their two cents in and then you, you know, my friend said this, you know, what do you think about that? And we all kind of bring that topic up. That's great too. So, you know, whatever works, this is really an open book kind of podcast and I'm just looking to grow it in any way possible. So again, thank you. And thank you for everyone that tuned in and listened today. Um, this has been Bar Time Anytime, episode five. Peace.